Hi, this is Alan Burrow for Faith Working. The sermon you are about to hear is one I preached at the King's Congregation in Meridian, Idaho. For more sermon podcasts, go to faithworking.com. To subscribe to all our Faith Working podcasts, go to the iTunes store and search for Faith Working under Podcasts. For information about the King's Congregation, go to the church website at thekingscongregation.com. We arrived this morning at Matthew chapter 26, verse 69, down through chapter 27, verse 5, the Gospel of Matthew. Been considering the events that uh, lead to Jesus being crucified, and the events uh, begin moving very, very rapidly. But as we will see in our text this morning, uh, Matthew draws our attention away from this uh, race to the crucifixion of Jesus to cause us to focus in on two particular individuals, and that is Peter and Judas. So let's read God's word together. These are the words of God. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. <clears throat> when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Lord our God, we pray, open up your word to us this day that we would have the meaning and the power that you intend for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in order to bring into focus in the midst of this race to crucifixion, to bring into focus Judas and Peter, Jesus, uh, Matthew departs from his chronological sequence. He reaches forward and he takes the episode with Judas and brings it back and puts it side by side with Peter. Because this episode with Judas here where he brings back the 30 pieces of silver and throws them down in the temple before the high priest, this occurs after Pontius Pilate sentences Jesus to death. So Matthew is going out of his way and reaching forward into the chronology and bringing this back and putting it side by side with the episode with Peter. Obviously, what Matthew wants us to do is to consider these two men. He wants us to think about them side by side. He wants us to ponder them. And that is what I want us to do today. Well, the first thing we see is that Judas and Peter had a lot in common. They were both members of God's covenant people. They were both disciples of Jesus. They were both members of the Twelve, Jesus' inner circle. They both traveled with Jesus wherever he went, heard everything he taught, saw everything he did, 
received the benefit of his special private teaching and insight. They both denied Jesus. At the critical moment, they both disassociated themselves from him. They both felt sorrow for what they had done. Both felt remorse and regret. Both wished they could undo what they had done. There are all these similarities between Judas and Peter, and yet there is the greatest possible difference between them in terms of how they ended up. For Judas went to hell, and Peter went to heaven. Judas inherited eternal destruction. He is called in Scripture, John chapter 17, the son of perdition, the son of destruction, the the picture of the one who goes to destruction. And his natural life ended with him taking his own life in hopelessness and despair. Peter, on the other hand, inherited eternal life. And his natural life would also end well. He would be restored. He would become the chief apostle to the Jews. He would become Jesus' chosen preacher on the day of Pentecost. He would become Jesus' chosen apostle to verify every time the gospel went to a new people group, such as the Samaritans or the Gentiles. And at the end of his natural life, Peter would be given another opportunity to stand for Jesus. And this time he would do so with flying colors, choosing to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy in his mind to be crucified the same way as his Lord. So we have the biggest possible difference in outcomes between Judas and Peter. And the question Matthew wants us to ponder, I think, is what explains that difference when you have so many similarities between the two men? The answer is as profound as it is simple and is the most important thing you can ever learn. And that's why I think Matthew wants us to think about it. So what explains the difference in outcomes between these two similar men, Judas and Peter? Could it perhaps be the difference between Judas's sin and Peter's sin? For there's no question that there's a difference in degree. For Judas betrayed Jesus whereas Peter only denied him. Well, there's several wrinkles we need to think about as we, can, as we ponder that. Number one, consider that Jesus said in Matthew 10, 33, Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Well, we see a couple of things there. First of all, denial is enough. You don't have to betray. Denial is enough. Jesus says, whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. And yet we have to consider the fact that Peter, in fact, denied Jesus not once but three times, and yet he's in heaven. We'll have to hold that one for a minute. Think about it some more. Secondly, another wrinkle we need to bring in is, what about Paul? We say Jesus went beyond denying Uh, We say Judas went beyond denying Jesus because he betrayed him. But really, so did the Apostle Paul. For Paul persecuted Jesus. That's the way Jesus said it in Acts chapter 9 when he called Paul to himself. Paul had been killing Christians. He was there when Stephen was stoned. He was pursuing Christians, men, women, and children, arresting them and carrying them off to be killed. 
So what Paul did was much more parallel to what Jesus did. And that's why Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Whatever you do to my believers, whatever you do to my disciples, you're doing it directly to me. If you're killing them, you're killing me. If you're betraying them, you're betraying me. So Paul, what Paul did was much more parallel to what Judas did. So notice that Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, when he talks about the chief of sinners, he doesn't name Judas. He names himself. Paul says that he, not Judas, was the chief of sinners. We also need to consider that forgiveness was offered to those who crucified Jesus. Forgiveness was offered to those who crucified Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, Peter, who knew something about this kind of forgiveness, is preaching to the men of Israel. And this is what he says to them. He says, you denied the Holy One. In other words, Peter denied Jesus. But he says to the men of Israel, you denied the Holy One too. You denied the Holy One and just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance. In other words, he's not saying you didn't mean to do it. You meant to do it. It was wicked. But you didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah. That part you didn't understand. That part you were ignorant of. A lot of it was willful ignorance, but ignorance nonetheless. He said, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, such as the chief priests, What's the answer? What does Peter say? Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. So in answer to our question, the difference in the eternal outcomes between Peter and Judas cannot be explained by the difference between their sins. The second question we should ask is, could it be the difference in the sorrow that Judas and Peter felt and showed for their sin? Could that explain the difference in their eternal outcomes? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul refers to godly sorrow that produces repentance leading to salvation and the sorrow of the world that produces death. So maybe Peter was sorry in a way that Judas was not. Again, there is a wrinkle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul uses the exact same Greek word for godly sorrow that leads to repentance and eternal life and the sorrow of the world that leads to death. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that the difference between the two sorrows is not in how they feel. In other words, the two sorrows are not of a different nature, emotionally speaking. And we can see that in our text. Peter and Judas both experienced intense and sincere regret. Both were genuinely ashamed. Both wished deeply that they could undo what they had done. So thus far, Peter and Judas are the same. The difference, you see, is not seen in the sorrow itself, but in what the person does with that sorrow, what the person does in response to the sorrow. Peter responds one way. Judas responds another. Peter ends up in heaven. Judas ends up in hell. 
So the sorrow itself does not explain the difference. What does? Well, the difference is found in this simple fact. Peter returned to Jesus, and Judas did not. In the end, that is the difference. That is the only difference that makes a difference in the final analysis between these two men. That's what everything comes down to for them and for us. Coming to Christ or not. Or perhaps, as with these two men, coming back to Christ or not. That's the difference between faith and unbelief, between eternal life and damnation. In the final analysis, there is only one distinguishing mark that always separates genuine faith from unbelief. Genuine faith, however feeble, however consumed with shame and a sense of worthlessness, comes to Jesus. And unbelief, for whatever reason, and there are a million of them, does not come to Jesus. Or in the case of Jesus, does not come back to Jesus. Let's think about the ramifications of this, looking at Judas and Peter. You can be sorry for the wrongs you have done, genuinely sorry, and still not come to Jesus. You can make things right. You can try to make things right. You can try to undo the wrongs you have done and still not come to Jesus. You can beat yourself up for your sin and still not come to Jesus. You can pronounce judgment on yourself. You can punish yourself and still not come to Jesus. In many ways, you can act uprightly with regard to your sin like, Jesus, like Judas did. He tried to make it right. He came back to the chief priest. He said, I've betrayed innocent blood. He confessed his sins to the chief priests. He tried to undo it. When they wouldn't, he refused to receive the reward of the sin. He threw it down in the temple. He tried to do the noble thing. He says, I'm basically, I'm not worthy to live. He takes his own life. In a lot of ways, you can say that he was acting in an upright and a manly fashion, owning up to what he had done. But he did all of that without coming to Jesus. And Judas is the son of perdition. He is the son of destruction. Judas did not die a coward's death. You would have to say that he was a courageous man. You cannot say that he was a squish or a weenie. But he did not come to Jesus. On the other hand, what are some of the things that you can have done and still come to Jesus? Well, as we see with Peter, you can have denied Jesus repeatedly and you can still come to Him. You can have failed in every good intention you ever had and still come to Jesus. How many times did Peter say, I will never betray you. I will die with you, Jesus. I will never betray you. Peter failed in every good intention he had. But he came to Jesus. He came back. 
You can have broken every vow you ever made to the Lord, like Peter did, and you can still come to Jesus. You can feel that you are the worst person who ever lived, and you can even be right in that, as Paul thought he was, and you can still come to Jesus. Well, what then does it mean to come to Jesus? First of all, it means that you come to the right Jesus and to the right Christ. Coming to Jesus means, first of all, that you come to the right Jesus and the right Christ. You see, there's a lot of would-be saviors out there, just like there are many would-be gods out there. But in reality, there is only one true and living God, and there is only one true Savior and mediator between God and man. Even with someone like Judas, who knew Jesus so well, there were lots of different possible beliefs and hopes about who Jesus was and what he came to do. Judas knew Jesus, but he didn't know him. Judas traveled with Jesus, and he ate with him, and he heard him speak, and he saw him work miracles. And so he really knew Jesus, and yet he really didn't know Jesus. Judas had faith and hopes built around Jesus. But the Jesus he had faith and hopes built around was a Jesus in his own head, and not the real Jesus. Judas had the right person. He could go up and kiss the right person so the chief priests would know who to arrest. And yet Judas didn't have the right person. For the Jesus and the Christ whom Judas wanted Jesus to be was not the Jesus and the Christ Jesus actually was. Judas was believing and hoping in a traditional Jewish Christ, a great political leader who would seize the high ground after his magnificent entry into Jerusalem that he would take control of Jerusalem and all Israel would fall in behind him and the twelve would have special positions of power in his government. Judas was not believing and hoping in a Messiah who had to go to the cross in order to save Israel and the world. He was not believing in the Jesus and the Christ that Jesus says he was because Jesus says the Son of Man must, must, must be betrayed and must be delivered up for crucifixion, and must rise again from the dead. That is the Jesus who really was. That is not the Jesus whom, Jesus whom Judas was trusting and hoping in. As soon as Judas found out Jesus wasn't the Christ he thought he was, he left him and he betrayed him. Now he later felt bad about betraying him, given the fact that Jesus was sentenced to be crucified, he felt bad about that. He tried to undo it, but he never came back to Jesus because Jesus was not the Christ Judas believed in. And there are a lot of other Jesuses and Christs out there besides the traditional Jewish Christ that Judas believed in. There is Jesus and the Christ who is a great teacher, there's Jesus and the Christ who is a great moral example. There's the, great, uh, there's the Jesus and the Christ who's just there to help you feel better and to give you a helping hand whenever you think you need one. There are lots of Jesuses and Christs out there today. But there is only one true Jesus and one true Christ. You must come to the Jesus and the Christ whom Jesus revealed himself to be 
in the Scriptures. You must come to the Jesus who had to go to the cross in order to pay the debt of our sins so that he could break the power of death and in doing so break the power of Satan. You must come to the Jesus who was qualified to go to the cross and he is only qualified if he is a perfect man, perfect humanity, the perfection of everything we were created to be. You must come to the Jesus who was God the Son from all eternity and who became man in order to be our Savior, for there is no other way that he could be sinless and be qualified to die on the cross for us. You must come to the Jesus whom God the Father raised from the dead as his verdict and proof that Jesus had in fact paid the debt of sin, that he had conquered death and conquered Satan. You must come to the Jesus whom God the Father seated at his right hand in heaven, with all authority in heaven and on earth, with all things as his inheritance, and with all judgment committed into his hands. That is the only true Jesus and the only true Christ. If you're coming to any other Jesus, then you aren't coming to Jesus. So coming to Jesus means, first of all, coming to the right Jesus and to the right Christ. Secondly, coming to Jesus means that you come to him not only as the Savior and Lord of the world, but as your Savior and as your Lord. That means that you cast yourself upon him. Now, casting yourself upon Jesus does not mean a blind leap. There are people who say that faith is a blind leap. You leap out into the darkness based on nothing. No, it's not. It's not. God gives us every reason in the scriptures to believe. It is not a blind faith. But it does mean you cast yourself upon him. It does mean a leap in the sense of, of a ship pulling away from the dock. And you run and you jump for all your worth. You don't, hold, you don't try to keep one foot on the dock and one hand on the dock while you try to reach out with the other one. It means you cast yourself upon Jesus. It means you take the attitude of Peter that we see in John chapter 6. At that passage, a lot of disciples have departed from Jesus and they're not following him anymore because they didn't like his teaching at that point in time. So in other words, they're not believing and hoping in the right Jesus. They've got one of their own construction. He turns, not out, he turns out not to be the one that they're hoping in, and so they leave. And so Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, Are you going to leave too? This is what Peter says. Peter doesn't understand everything Jesus just taught. He can't line it all out. But this is what he says to Jesus. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter is saying, I'm not leaving. I don't understand everything, but I have nobody else to go to because you're the one with the words of eternal life. And I've come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Think about Jesus and Peter 
when Jesus restores Peter is recorded for us in the Gospel of John. Now we know that Peter comes back to Jesus even by the time in, uh, in, in Matthew, uh, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he tells the disciples to meet him on a mountain. And it says the eleven came there. Well, the eleven means Peter. Okay, Judas the twelfth is gone. But eleven come, that means Peter's there. Peter has come back. It's recorded for us in the Gospel of John after Jesus was raised from the dead. They were out fishing, the disciples, and uh, they see uh, you know, Jesus, somebody on the shore, and he tells them to cast the net over on one side of the boat when they haven't caught anything all night, and then they catch all these fish. Peter says, it is the Lord. What does Peter do? Out of the boat, into the water, swimming to Jesus. You know, there's that idea of casting yourself. But Jesus goes to Peter, he gets some one-on-one -on -one time with him, and he asks him some questions. Actually, he asks him the same question three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? And of course, Jesus there uses the word agapao, love. It's the word that the biblical writers use to describe divine love. The love that God has for us, the love we're supposed to have for one another, the love we're supposed to have for God. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me with this love? Peter, Peter won't say it. Peter won't say it. This is a different Peter. This is not the same Peter who says, I will never deny you. I will die before I deny you. No, this Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. I phileo you. I love you with a brotherly love. He won't say that he loves Jesus with this divine love. This is a different Peter. He is beaten down. He won't say that. He's come back to Jesus, but he, he's not going to claim to have that kind of love. Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter won't say it. Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. I, I love you with brotherly love. Jesus says it again. Peter, do you agapao me? And Peter, it says this time, is grieved. He's grieved. It's just cutting into him very, very deeply. Jesus is cutting open this wound because it, it's healed over, but it's not really healed. And Jesus is just slicing away at it. And, and, and Peter won't say it. But every time Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you, he's not going to claim to love Jesus the way that he should love Jesus. And every time Peter, uh, Jesus says, feed my lambs, care for my sheep, take care of my people, care for my disciples, feed my disciples. In other words, what he's saying is, Peter, you know what? I know what you did. I told you what you were going to do before you did it. And you being restored is not about you feeling bad enough. Because you can't ever feel bad enough for this. It's about you looking at me and understanding who I am and what I have done. That's where your forgiveness comes from. That comes from me. It doesn't come from inside you. It comes from me. And he keeps saying to Peter, Peter, I have a job for you. I have a job for you. I have something for you to do. I have a life for you. I have a purpose for you. I have something very, very important for you to do. And I want you to forget what lies behind because you can't feel bad enough about that. I want you to understand who I am. And your forgiveness comes right here. And I want you to start thinking about the job I have for you to do. And he also tells Peter at that point that Peter is going to die for being Jesus' disciple. He tells him that he's going to follow him in crucifixion. 
Peter knows from that point what it will mean for him to follow Jesus. But Peter is a changed man. Now, what does it mean if you are a Christian? What does coming to Jesus mean if you are a Christian? Because, you know, we often think today that you come to Jesus once when you become a Christian. And after that, you don't need to come to Jesus. But that's not the way it's presented in the scriptures. You know, we already looked at the fact that Jesus says that whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my father. Now, that's damnations, what that is. But we also have Jesus saying, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. I will not turn away. And yet Jesus turns right around in John chapter 15. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out. John chapter 6, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John chapter 15, as anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out. What, what does this mean? What this means is that coming to Jesus is not something you do once. Coming to Jesus is the fundamental definition of what it means to be a disciple. And it's something that you do every day. It's something that you have as an attitude of heart, a cast of mind, an orientation of life, and a life purpose. It is the characterization of a lifetime. And so being a Christian, abiding in Jesus, what does that mean? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? It simply means that you have an orientation and a habit of life of coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus. So coming to Jesus is a way of life. It consists in coming to Jesus again and again for the rest of one's life. That does not mean one is being saved all over again, coming from uh, non-salvation to salvation. It means that one is abiding in salvation. Remember that the Bible doesn't just speak of us as be, having been saved. It does say that. It also says we're being saved, and it also says we're going to be saved. And so this is an orientation of heart. That means that the heart and soul and the core of the Christian life is going to Christ in everything. Going to Christ in good times and bad. Going to Christ when you've had victory or defeat. Going to Christ no matter what. That is simply what faith does. It simply says what Peter says. When you've been defeated, when you've sinned, it simply says what Peter says, which is, Lord, to whom shall I go? I'm coming back to you. To whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the Son of God. You are the Christ. Now what this means as we turn to more application is this. Satan will do anything to keep you from coming to Jesus. And so will your fallen heart. Satan and your falling heart will shame you to keep you from coming to Jesus. They will tell you that what you have done is too bad. They'll tell you you're beyond saving to keep you from coming to Jesus. They will agree to work with you and reform you. Satan and your fallen heart will make any compromise necessary to keep you from coming to Jesus, even make you a good person. They will help you reform. They will help you become a squeaky clean person to do good deeds. 
They will help you join a monastery or a convent. They will help you deny yourself pleasures or afflict yourself or punish yourself for your sins. They will help you live a lifetime of grief. Just don't come to Jesus. A lifetime of not coming to Christ for all the reasons you want to offer, that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That and that alone is the sin that knows no forgiveness. The unforgivable sin is not any sin that you can do in a moment. It's only a sin that you can do for a lifetime. And that is turn away from the testimony of the Spirit through the Scriptures and through the church so that you, for a lifetime, simply don't come to Jesus. So do not allow yourself to be distracted from the central issue of life and eternity. Don't you think it's important to deal first with the most important business of life and then deal with the things of lesser importance later? Coming to Jesus or coming back to Jesus is the most important business there is. In the final analysis, it is the only difference that makes any difference between Peter and Judas and that makes any difference for us. So follow Peter. You cannot possibly have done anything more embarrassing or worthy of shame than Peter did. Follow Paul. You can't possibly have done anything more embarrassing or worthy of shame than Paul did. But both of them came to Jesus and he received them both he did not cast them out. So follow them. Now, if you're not coming to Jesus, because it's possible to come to church every single week and not come to Jesus, that, that's what this service is about, is coming to Jesus. That's what this is supposed to be. We come together as God's family and we come to God through Christ. That's what this is. That's what this whole service is about. But it's possible to come here every week and not come to Jesus. It's possible to be, quote, a good Christian person and not come to Jesus. It's possible to be a parent, a mother, a father, a church officer, to be raising up children, to be good. It's possible to come up in a Christian family, to have Christian parents, to show up in church, say all the right things to be coming among the people who are coming to Jesus every week and yet not really be coming to him yourself. If that describes you, then I'm asking you, what is holding you back? Because whatever it is, it's not from God. It's from Satan or it's from your own heart, but it's not from God. The only thing that keeps you or that keeps anybody from coming to Christ in the long term is simply pride. It's pride in one form or another. It might be pride in the form of arrogance. I am in charge of my life. I want to be in charge of my life. I don't want Jesus in charge of my life. I want to do what I want to do. I think I know more about my own happiness than Jesus. So it can take the form of arrogance. But pride can also take the form of beaten down pride. I'm too bad to be saved. What I have done 
is too bad. It's too late for me. You know, let me translate that. If your heart's telling you that, let me translate that for you. My sin is so special that not even Jesus, the Son of God on the cross, can forgive it. And let me tell you that there is nothing special about your sin. Scripture is full of all kinds of saints, Old Testament and New, who have committed every kind of sin imaginable to every degree imaginable. All of them forgiven, all of them in heaven, all of them saying, use me as an example if you want to understand who Jesus can save. Jesus can save Peter. Jesus can save Paul. Jesus can save you. Ultimately, staying away from Christ day after day, year after year, on the grounds that you're too bad, that you're beyond saving, it's just a perverse form of pride that you think your sin is so special that Jesus can't save you. Follow Peter. Follow Paul. In the final analysis, every one of us, no matter what our life is like, no matter what we do, or where we live, or when we live, every single one of us ends up either following Peter, or we follow Judas. Follow Peter. Come to Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.